Hello everybody, I'm Richard James Rogers, I'm a high school science teacher and I'm the author of an award-winning book for teachers called The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. So uh, please check that out, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble and all good retailers. So um, I was thinking uh, this weekend about the key things that I have learned over the years as a high school science and mathematics teacher, um, and it's a career now that's spanned around about 16 years full time. And in that time, I've taught things like German language. Um, I've taught SAT English to private tutoring groups. I've taught mathematics and science, as I've mentioned. And a lot of my students over the years and parents and colleagues, etc., have told me that I'm doing a great job and my students tend to respond very positively to my lessons. And I heard this as far back as when I was in the UK over uh, 12 years ago, even in, the, in those early days as, as an NQT, I would get a lot of positive feedback. And I'm not trying to blow my own trumpet here, but for some reason, teaching just came naturally to me. Um, it was always my vocation. It was what I wanted to do ever since I was um, a young student in high school. It was, it was my dream even since those early days. And I think to myself, what is it that I can pass on to any teacher that will immediately have a massive effect on, um, on his or her teaching. Well, really, I've, I've distilled it down to five things that I believe really work really well every time. And these are things that, interestingly, you probably didn't hear on your teacher training course, such as your PGCE or your, your TEFL course or whatever it is you did. Um, and it's probably not something that you hear very often during continuous professional development at school either. And you don't hear it very much in teach meets. But I can guarantee you that these are the five things that really do make the most difference. And I've named this episode um, five easy ways. Sorry, no, five simple ways to become a better teacher. But simple doesn't mean easy. And these five things I'm going to go through today are relatively simple to do, but they're not easy to do necessarily. But they are the things that matter. So number one, what's the first thing on my list here? Get out of bed a lot earlier than what you're accustomed to. Now, I know that people don't like doing this. Um, I'm not a big fan of doing this myself, and I'm here preaching it to you all. Um, it's not easy to do. I will totally agree with anyone who says that. Um, but things started changing for me as a teacher about eight or nine years ago when I strictly got up out of bed very early in the morning, every morning. So I started at five o'clock, just getting out of bed, getting up and getting things done. And um, nowadays I'm down to about 4.45, sometimes 4.30 if I can. And 
people listening to this might think, wow, you're crazy. Why do that? Why get up so early? Um, well, what I can tell you is getting up that early in the morning really does three main things. First of all, it gives your body time to get physiologically ready and biochemically ready for the day ahead. Because what I've found is that when I get up early, really early in the morning, I have time to have breakfast without rushing. I have time to have a cup of coffee or maybe two cups of coffee without rushing. I have time to get ready in a in a nice pace. I'm not rushing in my shower and worrying about the day ahead. I have time to quickly look or slowly look at my emails and uh, the daily messages for the day ahead that I get sent and figure out what I'm going to do for that day and have it clear in my head. And also what it allows me to do is leave leave my house early so that I'm not stuck in traffic and I can get to school early. And what I find, everybody, is by getting up really early, I'm starting the day less stressed, less anxious, less annoyed, less angry than I was in those early days when I used to rush to school. And I can tell you guys, learning not to snooze and getting into the habit of waking up early was a really difficult habit for me to get into. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's probably, I would say that learning not to snooze has probably, probably been the most difficult habit I've had to get into in my whole life. And that's really saying something because I've been through many trials in life as we all have. But that discipline of getting up early in the morning, really early in the morning, was really difficult to master. What I did that, that helped me with it was, first of all, I would go to bed a lot earlier than normal. Um, and I know that's not easy as well, especially when you've got work to do in the evenings, as, as teachers often do. But I, I forced myself to go to bed earlier when I could. Um, when my alarm went off in the morning, and I still do this now, I would have an immediate get out of bed routine. Now, at the moment, what that involves for me is a kind of reward system. So as my alarm goes off, I get out of bed, I open my door and I walk to 7-Eleven, which is my nearest convenience store. And I buy a coffee, I buy some food and I come back and I drink my coffee and I eat my food. And it's kind of like a, re a reward for waking up early. What I also found that helped me was I set my alarm and put my alarm outside of my bedroom. So I, I put it in the next room so that I would have to physically get out of bed and walk to switch my alarm off. Now, I must admit there were many times where I would, I would switch off the alarm and just walk, walk back to my bed and get back into bed. Um, so it took a while to force myself to stay out of bed uh, when I got out of bed. And another thing that helped me, which feeds into the biochemistry and the physiology, is by exercising regularly, I found that when I woke up in the morning, my body didn't feel as tired as it did when I was out of shape. And I can tell you guys, 
when I wake up in the morning, even now, I still feel tired. You know, my face feels puffy. My eyes are bloodshot. You know, my, my head is cloudy. And I just want to climb back into bed because it's so comfortable. So I still have that temptation. But I know that if I climb back into bed, I'm going to cause more problems for myself that day. Then if I stay out of bed, if I, if I suffer through a little bit of pain in the morning, get that coffee, get that breakfast, get a good shower, I know I'm going to feel better very soon and I know I'm going to be really ready for the day ahead. So that's, that's definitely number one on the list, everybody. Get out of bed a lot earlier than you're accustomed to. And that early morning time is absolutely golden time absolutely golden time. Um, you, you can do all sorts of things with that time. You can check your lesson plans for the day ahead. You can check what meetings you have. You can, like I said, leave your home earlier and get to school earlier and not be stuck in traffic and, and angry at traffic. Uh, you can get to school early and print resources early. Uh, you can Prepare resources early by posting them on the, the school's virtual learning environment. Um, so there's all kinds of things that we can do with that, with that early morning time. Okay, so number two on my list. Again, simple but not easy. And that is to exercise. Now, I'm not saying that we all have to become marathon runners or top athletes or anything like that. But I have noticed over the years that exercise positively impacts my ability to teach properly. And when I'm out of shape, when I don't exercise, my body is not able to get ready for the day ahead properly. And my lessons are not as good when I'm out of shape. And that, that is the reality, everybody. And I think about teachers I've worked with over the years who have kind of followed this philosophy and who exercise regularly and who have energy and they're bringing that energy into the classroom as well and they're bringing their passion into the classroom and making their students passionate. Now I'm not saying that an out of shape teacher can't be a good teacher but it definitely helps when you're in shape, when your body is physically and biochemically ready for the day ahead and Exercise actually has a domino effect in our lives because it helps us to wake up without being so tired and it helps us to generally just have a better mood and be happier during the day because our body is utilizing oxygen better, we're more alert, we're able to... Um, we're able to hydrate ourselves more effectively when we drink water and our bodies just feel better when we're in shape. And when we feel better physically, we're able to teach better. So whatever it is you love doing, maybe you like badminton, uh, as I do. Maybe you're into martial arts. Maybe you like football, basketball, whatever it is. I would suggest everybody, please do something that you enjoy and make it a habit so that you get fitter. And it's not a chore if you can. I have to admit to you, I'm not always able to follow that philosophy to the T. Um, I, I really like badminton, 
but you have to have someone to play with to do badminton. And I don't always have someone to play with. So I do literally have to go to the gym and do 30 minutes on the treadmill. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit boring. Um, it's not easy. It's difficult sometimes. If I've had a long day at school and I'm tired and I've got to force myself to get on that treadmill, it takes a lot of discipline. But I feel so much better when that workout is over. I feel like I've achieved something. And I go to my lessons the next day knowing that I'm a person of value because I've achieved things. I'm building up achievements inside myself and I'm building up strength and resilience which is helping me in my everyday job and I'm not saying that I'm perfect I'm not I've still got a long way to go I'm not a top athlete um, I'm not even a mediocre athlete but I, I do keep myself in reasonable shape and and it helps a lot it really really does help a lot um, so number three on my list is big one Give equal focus to relationships as you do to techniques. I believe that there are two sides to an outstanding teacher's paradigm. The first one are the techniques we use in the classroom. Things like cognitive load theory, using starters to prime learning, using accelerated learning techniques, using learning games, using good plenaries, using quiz technology like Quizlets and Kahoots, using good resources like BBC Bite Size, etc. All of those things are, of course, incredibly important. And by the way, if you check out my blog for teachers, richardjamesrogers.com, and you go to the blog index on there, you will find hundreds of articles that go through loads of techniques that you can use in the classroom. And it's all free content, guys. So check that out. But the techniques we use, I believe, are only 50% of what makes an outstanding teacher. The other 50%, if not more, actually are the relationships we build with our students, the rapport, the professional rapport that we build with our students. Now, that takes time. But a fellow colleague of mine on Twitter, who I've, I've forgotten now, I'll have to look back and, and put the link in the description to this episode, but she put it perfectly. She said, push hard, love hard. And I tell you what, that's become my new teaching philosophy because I can't think of a better way to say what an outstanding teacher does. An outstanding teacher pushes hard and loves hard. But how do we love hard? Well, it all involves one-to-one -one conversations with students. It involves building rapport by asking good questions, by using praise. And there are four rules of praise, remember. And don't forget that praise has to be sincere. If we're going to say a good thing to our students, like a good piece of work they've done or an achievement they've, um, they've done in school and we want to recognise that, our praise has to be sincere and meaningful. Praise has to be collective in order to be effective. So by that I mean if you praise a student, tell other colleagues about it and get them to praise the student. We have to show that we genuinely care about our students. 
If you see a student who's feeling sad, ask, how are you? Is everything okay? You look a bit sad today. Let's talk about it. A student who's um, injured or ill or has an arm in a plaster cast, what happened? Tell me. Tell me the story. It's, it's these kind of actions. And they don't have to happen in class. They can happen on corridors as we're walking around, when we're on duty, when we're at the lunch queue. Anywhere where we're interacting with students, we can strike up conversations that show our students that we actually care. And when our students know that we actually care, guess what, guys? That makes all the difference. It really does. Because when students know that their teachers really care about them, students genuinely and generally want to work harder for that teacher and for those teachers. Um, I think most students, and I've, I've noticed this over 16 years of teaching now, most students, even up to the age of 18 years old, when they're about to go to university, most students crave attention and they crave positive praise and they crave genuine, sincere appreciation and acknowledgement. And when we do that, when we genuinely praise and acknowledge our students' work and their efforts and their character and the things they've done, that helps us to build positive relationships. So number three, the rule is give equal focus to pedagogical techniques as we do to relationships with our students. Okay, number four, another simple way to become a better teacher is to work with parents. Parents, everybody, are our friends. They are our allies. They are not our enemies. Now, I know it might not seem like that sometimes. There are some parents, and I understand this, who are totally on the side of their students no matter what happens. A student could stand up and throw a chair across a room. That student gets suspended, gets sanctioned, and the parent is, is, is phoning school and screaming down the phone. I've heard stories like this. I've witnessed similar things myself uh, years ago when I was back in the UK. So I know exactly where some teachers are coming from. But no matter what happens, no matter how parents might respond, we have to understand that our parents genuinely care about their children. And that means we have something in common with those parents because we also genuinely care about their children as well. Or at least we should do if we're in the teaching profession. So I think the key to working with parents is having one-to-one -one conversations, finding common ground, getting, getting our parents sorry to to say yes straight away, this is called the Socratic method, so that we can have some common ground we agree with. So for example, if I'm sat with a parent and we're discussing a student, I might discuss something that we're both aware of. So for example, um, as we both know, um, let's make up a student's name. Uh, student X did really well in his music recital this weekend, didn't he? And the parent might say yes, for example. And you'll, you'll discuss some positives that we both agree on and then discuss the targets for improvement. And we must not neglect the importance of those one-to-one -one conversations, but not just that. Um, also, 
Parents often have a lot of skills and contacts and expertise that they can bring to the school environment, often offering new opportunities for our students. Um, and I've recently seen the massive power that working with parents can have on students. And this happened when I was running um, an extracurricular activity called Crest Award, which is a, um, a practical science activity. And one of the parents um, at my school, um, at a previous school, she, um, she had a contact in, um, in one of the universities locally. And this contact was a professor of chemistry. And this person was able to come to our school and mentor my Crest Award students through their projects and even give a talk at school and help to, to run our um, science day with us. So it was, it was great that that contact came through a parent and you never know what, um, what bank of resources, skills, expertise parents can actually bring to a school. So I would encourage schools everywhere to utilize parents as resources and, and utilize their skills and expertise because we must not forget that parents have a lot to bring to the table. And the relationship that our students have with their parents is just as important as the relationships that students have with us as teachers when we're talking about their education and helping them improve. And the last, the last item on my list is this one. And this is going to sound like the easiest one on the list probably, and that is to plan everything and plan thoroughly. Now for many teachers hearing that, that might sound a bit patronizing and it might sound a bit condescending. I don't mean it to sound that way and please forgive me if it does. But even I, after 16 years of teaching, I have to remind myself of this one on a regular basis because without a doubt, every time, those lessons that go well for me are always the ones that I have planned thoroughly. And whenever there's a lesson that doesn't go well or something major goes wrong or I don't quite cover the material I wanted to or something just doesn't feel right, almost always it's due to some oversight in planning or due to rushing or due to not checking out a resource properly or something like that. So it's so important that we plan properly. Um, and I think we have to consider some major things with planning. So for example, we have to think about the long-term plans for each class do, that we teach. So where should our classes be in three months time, for example? What's the curriculum map? Where should the students be in one year's time? That kind of long-term planning is just as important as the day-to-day -day planning, in my opinion, because we have to know where the students need to be in a certain amount of time. And that allows us to get our pace correct. Other things to think about are the location of students at different points in the lesson. Will you bring them to the front of the class at certain points? Where will groups of students sit? How will you assign groups? Are there certain students that you don't want working together? Sometimes that happens with me. There are students who I know if I put them together, 
They're going to be distracted. They're going to talk too much. They're not going to focus on their work. They're going to be disruptive. They're going to poison the um, integrity of the group because they're not going to do the task properly, whatever it might be. So all of that has to be considered. Um, another thing to think about is using educational technology properly. Are you going to use a Quizlet, a Kahoot, a BBC Bite Size resource? Are you going to use some educational software like MyMaths or Lexia Learning or Google Classroom? Whatever you're going to use, always check it out properly. As teachers, we've always got to check these educational online resources properly or any kind of ed tech we're using because if we don't, we could find spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes, content mistakes, content, content that's too far beyond what we want the students to know, content that's not enough and so on. So, so important that we plan everything thoroughly. That's not easy. Uh, I said it was the easiest on the list, but it's not easy. It takes time. I appreciate that. For me personally, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but for me personally, I spend a Sunday morning, every Sunday, planning my lessons for the next week. That is just the best time that works for me. I can sit at a coffee shop, I can relax, I've got the sunlight shining through the window. It's just, it just for me, that's a nice environment to just clearly think about my lessons for the week ahead. That doesn't work for everybody. Uh, for you, you might want to write your lesson plans in the early morning because you're going to get up much earlier now after this episode uh, before you go to school. You might plan your lessons every evening. Uh, you might plan your lessons when you have a free morning uh, during a week at school. Whatever works for you. But whatever you do, whatever we do as teachers, we must plan our lessons thoroughly. So in conclusion, being a brilliant teacher and a happy teacher depends upon three factors being in alignment. Three factors, guys. Number one, our physiology. Is your body ready biochemically and physically for the day ahead? I would say the best way to ensure that happens is with exercise and getting up early, having breakfast, not rushing at breakfast, having a coffee or a drink or something to hydrate yourself in the morning, getting to school early, avoiding all that nasty traffic and the anger associated with being stuck in traffic and just getting to school on time with the ability to relax a little bit before the day starts. Number two, your relationships with students, parents and colleagues. So important. And number three, the teaching methodologies that we use. Um, planning is going to be the major factor in ensuring our methodologies are on par and appropriate for what we're trying to achieve in our lessons. So like I said, following the advice in this episode is simple and you will get for sure guaranteed immediate positive results if you follow the advice I've given to you today. But the advice I've given is not easy. I will be the first to admit that. But everything I've said is simple. So thank you, everyone. I really hope you're enjoying these episodes. Please do share far and wide. Comment, 
like, subscribe, download the episodes, and of course, check out my blog for teachers, richardjamesrogers.com, and check out my books on Amazon. My award-winning book is called The Quick Guide to Classroom Management, 45 Secrets That All High School Teachers Need to Know. And that's it for today, and I will speak to you all again soon for another episode on this podcast. Thank you, take care, push hard and love hard.